Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Jesse Moore, and welcome to Icon Leadership Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Icon Leadership Podcast. Today on our show, we have a young lady who was named the 2018 Louisiana Teacher of the Year. She was a former Innovative Programs Coordinator. She's former Executive Director of Educator Development, a former Instructional Coach, <laughs> and now she is currently the Dean of Undergraduate Studies at Reach University. Everyone, uh, please uh, give a round of applause for for Mrs. Kimberly Eckert. Hey, Kim, how are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you? All right. Kim, man, how, how the heck do you keep doing all of this stuff? Oh, how the heck could I not keep doing it? I hear uh, it's, you. Good, it's good work. It's, it's really, really, really great work. And Gosh, better than anything I could have hoped for when I first set out. Uh, okay, then, good. Tell me, so you are a founder of Educators Rising Louisiana. Tell me about that. Yes, I am. Okay, so, um, well, everything about me starts with teaching, obviously. So I'm a teacher at heart, and um, I don't know if any of your guests have heard this, but there's a massive teacher shortage, and it really predates COVID. Um, we had dwindling numbers in the teaching profession well before COVID. I think numbers of enrollment in higher ed to be a teacher have been going down steady for the past 10 years. So what Educators Rising does, it's actually a national organization, and I founded it in Louisiana, but it starts to kind of reshape what young people, what the next generation thinks about what it means to be a teacher. So it allows us to be able to go into high schools and do early recruiting so that we get folks before the cake's already baked, before they decide what they want to be when they grow up. We want to encourage them, don't grow up, be a teacher. Um, and so it's, it's, it's really powerful work. It's, it's really taken off in Louisiana uh, from our pilot group that had about 17 kids and none of them wanted to be a teacher. Uh, we recruited them hard by the end of that first year. Um, most of them did. In fact, five just graduated uh, from college to come back to our community to teach. And now at the last count, we have a couple thousand um, that are enrolled in this program throughout the state of Louisiana. So uh, it didn't seem as uh, possible whenever it first started out, uh, but I guess that's how icebergs are. You, you pick underneath the surface and then you, you wait and you keep persevering and then you have a really great thing at the end. So it's exciting. Right, right. So, Kim, you graduated from, from Marksville High School in Marksville, Louisiana. I, I did, right. yeah. So why in the world did you choose to teach? Well, I actually didn't choose to teach first, um, but I knew I wanted to like make a difference. I knew I wanted to be a part of shaping something to make the world better. So I actually studied social work first and um, had some really exciting work, really great experiences. Uh, I was able to, to work in London for a while. I came back home to go to law school. Uh, then I was working for a nonprofit in the state, and I felt like it, it was amazing. I was doing really powerful work. I was working in school, but I, I wasn't changing the world fast enough. And I was like envious of teachers who got to spend every day with kids. Right. Where for me, it was just maybe once or twice a month. 
So I made the switch. I became alternately certified in special education, and that was 15 years ago. Uh, the rest is history. Right. So obviously you love teaching, So, but, but what does it mean for you to be a teacher? Oh, um, gosh. On the smallest level, um, it, it means, like, changing the world, shaping the future. Uh, but it's deeper than that. I think that uh, teaching is the best way we can ensure, like, a strong democracy. Mm-hmm. Um, it means helping young people uh, figure out sort of what does the world need and, and why am I the best person to serve it in that way. So it's just it's really exciting just from the human level, the, the connections that we make and then the impact that we have. Um, in ways that I now know are global, but I didn't know that starting out. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's really, really powerful work. I'll be recruiting you by the end of this show. To be a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Wow. <laughs> so tell me, so tell me, so with all of the things happening today in the schools, mm-hmm. what, what is your motivation to keep going and going and going? I know you say you can't help it, but tell me. Well, um, and this is kind of funny. I think that the like older generations, mine included now, right? <laughs> we always have a tendency to sort of romanticize what youth were like when we were young. So I'm, I'm 41 now. And even with my generation, it's like, oh, kids today. But every generation says that. I just want to point that out. Right. <laughs> that every generation has beef with like the current generation that's, that's in their youth. So I want to, first of all, say that I don't think that that kids are any different than whenever I was in school. I was in high school. Like, they're still testing boundaries. They're still trying to figure out who they are. None of that's going to change because we're biologically designed to be the way we are. Um, But the thing is, like, there's so much energy in those spaces. So even now, I've been working in higher ed for two years, and I was working at the State Department of Education, and I still had a classroom. I still taught high school the first two hours of the day. In fact, I just rounded out my 15th year doing the same thing. Because the energy of them and the ideas and the hope that's there. So where some people might look, you know, across the country or across the world or look into schools and think that things are bleak, it's why I'm not. It's why I stay so hopeful um, because I want them to be the ones that are securing our future because I know that they can. Right. Um, they re-energize me. I see nothing but, like, brightness and ideas and inclusivity and, and, and hope at the end of the day. Right. Right. That's good. That's good. So how do you reach, you know, the kids today? Um, I think the same way that you would make connections with anyone across history, it's through relationships, Mm -hmm. Um, caring enough to figure out who is sitting in front of you and, and understanding like just the respect, like kids have to go to school. So I always try to teach in a way that if it wasn't compulsory, like if your parents didn't get a truancy letter, would you still show up to my class? Right. Like, how could I be that kind of teacher where if you actually had a choice, which you don't, would you still come? And I think that that kind of energy, whenever you really value who's in that space before you and you value that 50 minutes with them, um, it makes the idea of reaching someone not that big of an idea at all. Um the way that I try to create a culture, and it's the same as, as working with adults. If you have a really dynamic team, it's a team in a classroom. And if everybody's working towards the same goals and you understand why you're there and you understand that there's respect in that space and it goes both ways, uh, no one has to pull your arm to do what you need to do. Because I, I think a good leader, a good teacher, makes sure that you're a part of that, 
that goal too. So um, I don't think that it's easy to do that. I don't think it's easy outside of the classroom to make those types of connections where people believe that you believe in them. But I think that the most successful of us, the greatest teachers are able to do that and make it look easy. Right, right, right. So you mentioned that there is a teacher shortage. You know, can you, Mm -hmm. why, what happened? Well, um, and there's like plenty of data points about this. Um, and I've been able to do a lot of research in this space whenever I was getting started with trying to figure out how to solve the problem. But over time, um, I think, number one, pay is going to be a huge issue. That's something that we're always going to hear. Right. Um, in, you know, similarly degreed professions, there doesn't seem to be not necessarily the same starting pay, but, you know, get work 20 years and you're still not making much more than the day you started. Right. Uh, and there's all sort of issues. So I'm not even going to talk about pay because that's something that, I think there are many voices that speak to, but a few years ago, I did like an informal poll about 700 respondents just in the state of Louisiana and like, you know, state testing was on there, like over testing and sometimes like, you know, the classroom itself, like just the challenges, the pressure of the job. But the biggest area that that teachers reported of what makes things difficult is really lack of respect for the profession. And so that is something that I've been turning a lot of attention to because it's difficult to convince a generation of people mm-hmm. to want to invest so much of themselves and possibly go into decades of debt to be a part of a profession that isn't perceived to have a whole lot of respect from, from the outside. And so that's been something that I've been working a lot to challenge um, mm-hmm. and breathe new life into and kind of remix the idea. But, you know, it, perception is everything. And, there's a recent poll. There's an organization called Phi Delta Kappa PK, and they they polled year after year. In the past several years, they found that 54% of parents actively discourage their kids from becoming teachers, and that's the highest number it's ever been. So we have over half the country's parents that if their kid does come home and say, I want to be a teacher, they're like, no, you don't. You're not going to do that, uh, which is a really interesting thing because there's obviously jobs and professions that pay less than teachers, and we're not actively them in the same way. Right. So it's definitely a societal issue. Um, it, it's a societal issue, and it's one of those things we can't fix it if we don't fix the perception. So we can't fix the perception if we don't change the conditions, and we can't change the conditions if not enough people care enough to bother to solve the problem. So <laughs> hopefully all these pieces working together and just understanding where it stems from, we can reverse some of that right. and make conditions better where it's, where it's not the same case anymore right right so if you were if you could do something okay so what can the states do to end this started this shortage so you're saying that you pay is one thing right mm-hmm. because i think that when you see a, a a teacher on the corner and they have a sign out so they can buy supplies for their classrooms something's wrong mm-hmm. something's yeah. obviously wrong I remember and there's things, you know, that, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I'm go ahead. Go ahead. You can go. No, I want to know what you remember. Oh, oh well, I remember. Yeah, I remember when my mom, my mom was a school teacher. And I remember yeah. way back when mom was buying supplies. And I was wondering, mm-hmm. why are you buying supplies? I'm thinking I'm getting some, some, some toys, you know, but I'm not getting any toys. She's buying it for her classroom. Yeah, uh, that's pretty interesting, and, and not much has changed there, which is really interesting because if you look at adjacent professions like the medical profession or the legal profession, 
uh, you know, the, the legal profession, they charge you for the supplies, right? Right. And then right. the medical profession, it's similar. Like you wouldn't want to go to a doctor that's undersupplied. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something that we would expect of, of our, a country of our magnitude. Um, so the way we look at professions and who bears the burden and people sincerely not understanding um, the gaps in funding. So some of it is as a state. Some of it is local. I don't think that the typical voter, the typical person understands how important local elections are. Right. Um, because at the end of the day, schools only get so much from a state and they get even less from the federal government. But local spaces really have a lot of power over like taxing and zoning and the way that we're funding schools. Um, and there's a, there's a, that could be a whole different show, a whole different issue of which schools get funded and which ones are right. historically under-resourced. Right. Um, and it's a, it's a terrible position that teachers have to be in because you're in this position where you could say, well, no, you know, I shouldn't have to pay for this and I won't. But you know that if you make that decision, then will kids have access to the education that they deserve, regardless of their zip code? And the answer is often no. And it's not often that in any other profession you're dealt with that kind of like moral question day after day. And that's part of the pressure and the strain of being a teacher to begin with and why the, the burnout uh, tends to take hold pretty early on. Right, right. Wow, wow. So what does it take to be a great teacher? Well, um, it takes training and it takes skills. Um and it's important just to note, like, at people like, oh, teaching's a calling and we're born. No, teachers are not born and they don't fall out of the sky. Like, I'm a highly trained teacher. Like, I'm very, very good at my job because I've studied. Mm-hmm. Um, I've practiced. I mean, I've got thousands of hours of successful experience. I've, you know, trained. I've been a mentor. I've been mentored. And I think that it's very important to name that from the start, that this isn't some ethereal gift like given from the heavens, because if we do that and if we compare um, teachers to like superheroes or to really special spiritual people, then we undermine the skill set. And I think that also comes back to pay. Like I don't work for free. I'm very good at my job. I expect a paycheck accordingly. Right. Uh, and so some of that language needs to shift. I think we need to switch it from I'm really good at the calling. No, no, no. I'm really good because I've trained. Right. <laughs> Like every other profession, uh, it's taken me a long time and a lot of effort to become the professional that I am. Um, so it takes all those things. It takes an ongoing dedication to learning. Uh, it takes you know, a great problem solver. It takes someone willing to make those relationships, uh, willing to go back and learn again and again and again, because no matter how good you are, there's always going to be one class and a student that, um, that changes everything that really, you know, changes the game for you. Right. And I think just all of those things. And at the onset, some of those things are easier to teach people than others, but great problem solvers, great communicators, people who are natural leaders, although leadership can also be taught. Um, but just kind of respecting the space and respecting the game, it's a tough job. So we can't go into it um, without giving it the respect that it deserves. And the best teachers are always going to be the ones who have put in the work and who have worked really hard to develop skills that help them be successful. Right. All right. So uh, the Dean of Undergraduate Studies, tell me about mm-hmm. that. What is What What do you do? What's your job? Oh, the coolest stuff. So, uh, <laughs> which is, it's interesting because you asked a few questions back, like what can states do or what can be done? Right. And it's really important to note that there are spaces 
doing the things, like doing the things that need to be done to help teacher shortage. So I'm going to take a step back for just a second. So whenever I started Educators Rising, that was to help recruit the next generation of teachers. So the college that I work for, Reach University, it understands that there are already people working in schools, like paraprofessionals and teachers' aides, school bus drivers, school secretaries, like you name it. And many of them would be great teachers, but at some point they had to choose between a job or college. And so we are one of the first, if not the first, job embedded like apprenticeship degree where in order to be a candidate at our college, you have to actually be employed in a school near kids because we take that experience and they end up earning their bachelor's degree by doing what they're already doing on the job, but then we apply it to theory and give them coaching and teaching skills so that they can actually graduate. And the best part is that um, it's debt-free. We don't think you should go into debt to serve your country as a teacher. So we're philanthropic. We do a lot of fundraising. Uh, they only pay $75 a month for their tuition, and it never changes, and we don't do student loans. Oh, wow, man. That's awesome. I know, right? That's awesome. So, uh, right. Reducing barriers so that people actually can try to be a teacher. So, that's something that people can do. Well, you almost I think lots of people would want to be a teacher. Absolutely, you almost willing me in. You say yeah. zero student loans. I'm good. <laughs> oh, well, I'm also interviewing you to see if you have what it takes. So <laughs> I didn't feel it yet. <laughs> you won't feel it. <laughs> I hear you. All right, so so how do how do you empower you know other teachers? teachers oh gosh that's that's such a good question so a lot of it is like kind of approaching the understanding in the same way that i i do it with any learner you've got power in you already so i do want to say that like yeah sometimes empowerment is about number one helping you recognize that you already got a lot of stuff uh inside of you so like me helping you figure out how to make it work for you and with the situation um, but then I also do a lot of work around, uh, like engaging them in their own processes because like, even with teaching, I can't teach somebody everything that they need to know, but I could teach you how to learn and I could encourage you to ask the right questions and I could teach you where to go when you don't feel like those answers are being met or when change isn't happening fast enough. So I do a lot of work with helping, um, teachers, no matter where they are in their career, push back really mm-hmm. Because we, teachers tend to get very frustrated if they feel like they're not being heard. And that's really any profession. If you Absolutely. don't feel like your voice is valued, you don't feel like you have any power to change anything. If you don't know where to go to, to have your needs met, if you're trying to advocate for something and you feel like it falls flat, those are the types of things that, again, lend themselves to burnout. So really, a lot of the coaching, it comes on the skills itself, like helping people like a coach on a football field like special teams, I'm in there with a whistle, like really getting skills up. Right. But then behind the scenes, it's like helping them become better learners. Like, how do you learn this space? Where do you go if you have to do this? Um, how can you approach lawmakers if you are dissatisfied? How can you get more engaged in policies within your school or your district? And that's a whole other arm of it. And these are a lot of the things that helped me um, to get past those early few years. And so um, helping them understand, like, you've got what you need this is how you get the things that you don't already have. And that seems to really be helping. Um, I've been coaching teachers for about 12 of the 15 years and I had, I haven't lost any, like no one's left the profession yet, which is really exciting to be right. able to say. Right. Yeah. So how hard is it to, to coach a grown up? I mean, well, I say a grown up, but how hard is it to coach a, yeah. a teacher, you know, somebody that already well, has a few skills already, 
you know, and you're oh, trying yeah. to develop them, you know, so how hard is it? And first, I tend to do this a lot, but I'll, I'll localize it and maybe parallel. We coach adults in every space. Like, professional football players get coaches. Beyonce has a voice coach. Mm-hmm. So we should start with that. But, like, anybody who wants to get better at anything needs a coach. And whenever you're coachable and you're responding to coaching, it makes it better. So I'll just I'll stack that at the top sure. just because that is a truth. Sure. Um, we all benefit from having somebody to help us get better sure. uh, in the ring and out of the ring. Sure. So. But, but how, um, I think where, I guess, it, the teacher speak, pedagogy is how we reach children. Uh, andragogy is how we reach adults, like adult learning theory. And it's understanding, like, adults don't have to do what you say. <laughs> they just don't. Right. Uh, adults don't have to study you. They don't have to listen. Especially now, they can walk. So, number one, understanding that and respecting that, and I, I always sort of tie things back to, being a good teacher, a good teacher is a good teacher, no matter who the learners are. Um, so approaching adults with that same respect, like what you already have, mm-hmm. how can we make it better? But more than that, how do I get you on board and help you understand the why and help this become your thing too? Like, how would I help you understand that your success is my success, the kid's success is your success, the school's success is your success? Right. Um, because you don't have to get people to buy in if you're not selling them something, if it's already there to begin with. You don't have to trick them into believing that it matters enough for them to go all in. Right, right. So currently, even though you are the dean, uh, do you mm-hmm. uh, are you still in the uh, classrooms at the uh, you know high school level or? So as of this past semester, uh, I think I'm going to sit out a while. But I was, <laughs> which was a really tough thing. Right. Um, because I've got to finish my doctorate at some point, so I'm going to be stepping out of the the high school classroom for a second. Uh, but I was, and whenever you asked what I do as a dean, I told you a lot about reach, but I get to do so much teaching right now because I get to teach this really high-performing faculty. Like, our faculty are amazing. They're award-winning teachers from all over the, the country, uh, even some folks from other countries, which is really exciting. And then I get to teach classes with reach. Um, I get to design our program. I get to make sure it's in compliance with states. And ultimately, I have to walk the walk. Uh, we have clinical programs where they're student teachers, so I get to do a lot of modeling. So I still get to teach, and that makes me feel really great. And it's it's nice to bide my time this way until I get to go back and teach kids again. Right, right. We're good. We're good. So, you know, looking you, you look at the news, we watch the news, and we see a whole bunch of stuff about, you know, shootings and stuff at schools. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the safety of teachers, you know, and children at the schools. Well, um, that's something that's pretty transparent because we can all watch television. We all understand. And and the sad part is I don't know that we're any safer in a movie theater or a parking lot or a mall. Um, And that's a totally different issue. So the fact that, you know, I've got fear and anxiety hanging over me in any space I'm in, uh, that that goes without saying. Um, I think... It's interesting that as teachers, there's some part of us that already wants to protect the childhood of the the students that we teach. I just don't think any of us ever thought it would go beyond a metaphor, that it would be real, a real instance of doing that. Um, So, yeah, it's a tough thing, uh, but I think it also helps me double down in my advocacy efforts outside of the classroom. So advocating for 
uh, for mental health, advocating for more resources, advocating against certain things that I don't think would be really, really good to to satisfy this this massive problem. Um, So yeah, it's a reality. I don't think that it's going to make many of us turn away. I think if anything, it makes us lean in even more. But more than that, uh, it's not, these threats aren't really coming from within a school. I think everybody, every citizen of our country needs to be able to take part in in their own advocacy and making sure that we are never turning the attention off of this. Right. Um, because it's not it's not okay to have this space that, that's not safe. And literally, its job is to, to protect children until they're strong enough and, and old enough to be able to to censor themselves, which they're not as children. Right, right. So what do you think about teachers being armed at school? <laughs> um, <laughs> again, that's probably fodder for a different day. And I can make some sort of quirky jokes, like yeah. in passing, like they don't give us the copy machine code. They try <laughs> to give us a gun now. You know, I can make these jokes. <laughs> Quick, <laughs> like, isn't the really? office locked up? <laughs> Who has well, the key? Make, <laughs> like, that, like the teacher in me that can turn out the jokes as a 15-year teacher. I got jokes. So now, oh, now you want to give us some authority. Okay. No. Uh, then that's like the, the flippant sort of like, you know, passing joke about it. Right. Uh, I think the next thing is understanding that even highly skilled, highly trained professionals who carry arms don't always make the right call at the right time right. and are affected by bias and are affected by emotions in a moment. Putting in a teacher who's incredibly well-trained for something totally different, and I don't care how much you've hunted, I don't care how many hours you have tracked, a teacher is not a police officer, they are not military personnel. There is never going to be enough training for a teacher unless they're retired from a profession where they exclusively were tasked with protecting and serving that would make a teacher trained or qualified to carry arms because emotions run high in a school day. And I actually wrote a blog post a few years ago that I'm not worried about what would happen on that day if a teacher had to use the gun. I'm worried about what would happen on a Tuesday if a gun's available when emotions are running high. We forget that we're serving children. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Food for thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a spoon. <laughs> you need an <laughs> <one>? <laughs> All right. So let's move along to uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. What does it mean mm-hmm. when you hear that DEI? Oh, are we still allowed to say that in your state? No, I'm joking. Hey, hey, no. this, Texas and Florida. <laughs> you know, no. We're not allowed <laughs> right, to say right. that. Well, yeah, right. well, <laughs> um, well, it seems to be spreading fast. Yeah. But um, so at, at the very core, at the base of those terms, and I'm sure you know this because I know about your work. Right. Uh, but for anybody who's listening and they're wondering, what do these terms even mean? So diversity. Um, is, is representation of all of us. And I know whenever we hear the term diversity, sometimes it, it can go straight to race, which of course racial diversity is present, mm-hmm. but everybody represents some diverse characteristics because, you know, diversity has to do with, you know, our faith and our gender and uh, our background and our, our interest and our ethnicity and sure. our global perspective. So that's diversity. So the representation of just, all the beautiful components that make up a community, right? Basic term. And then equity. So, of course, that's, you know, ensuring that people have what they need. Not necessarily that it's equal, but that they get what they need. So, you know, sort of an example there. 
a person who is blind needs Braille. Everybody else in the class does not need Braille to be able to access the education or to function. So equity is giving people what they need to be able to access whatever it is in their lives. And then inclusion is how are we welcoming, how are we making sure that um, everybody feels like they're a part of the space in its most basic sense. Um, and, and it's interesting that, the, that those words are just what we strive for. And if you're a Christian, it's certainly what you hope for. Right. Uh, it's like what, what we work our whole lives to be able to achieve. Um, so that's what it means to me. And I think that, obviously, I work in education. And for us not to center those things would be irresponsible. It would be reckless of us in the positions that we hold as leaders. Right. Absolutely. So how do you teach children about the uh there are so many things that we teach, not by saying, but by doing. Yeah. And that is definitely one of them. So if I'm not in a space where I'm tasked with teaching specifically or explicitly diversity, equity, inclusion, like at a collegiate level, I do have to teach using those terms because they're about to enter a classroom. And again, it would be negligent if we didn't expose them to those ideas and where in education those things have not been present or upheld. Because obviously we are lagging in education globally. And there are reasons we can name them, and it's because not everybody has ultimately access, and we don't have an equitable education system. Whenever I'm teaching children, if the essence of that is to recognize that there is diversity, uh, that we all benefit from including it, and that we make sure everybody has what they need, that helps you to be successful everywhere. We're in a global world. We're connected to everyone across an entire world. So... I think that making sure that first as, as a teacher and as a model and as a role model that everybody in my space feels the benefits of that, um, which is a really interesting thing because in one classroom, magically, um, somehow we're still a team and it doesn't matter uh, what someone's religion is. It doesn't matter who their parents voted for in an election. Right. You have a space here and our class is better and stronger because you're here. So helping my students like find their voice and to be able to express themselves in ways that are respectful. Um, those things are important, but it starts with the teacher, like making sure that I'm not shutting down conversations and making sure that I'm always allowing space for different ideas. And I think it's important as a teacher that my class never knows where I stand uh, because it's not about me. It's about them. Right, right, right. Absolutely. So I do uh, understand that you like being outdoors. Now, you've traveled <laughs> to Kenya on a yeah. teacher's field trip. Tell me about that. Oh, going back again this summer <laughs> and next summer. Great. Uh, yeah. Good. Yes, and about being outdoors, that just comes from being a bayou girl. But <laughs> uh, I will say that a great deal of Kenya is, is housed also indoors. <laughs> so oh. I will just say that. Um, yeah, but no, that's, that's incredible. Like, um global perspective, I guess being from such a small town, I mean, with Marksville, Louisiana, about 5,000, 10,000 people. Mm -hmm. And I was always a reader. So I always like loved books. And the minute I realized that like, that anybody can go anywhere, that was very exciting to me because I love learning about people. And I just, man, I just love seeing things from other points of view. I think it's such a gift to be able to do that as a human, to be able to reach out and understand um, and have empathy and learn from other people. So I started to do a lot of global exchanges, like with classrooms from across the world, with teachers from across the world. And I love learning. And I love seeing how many great things teachers across the world are doing 
with maybe even fewer resources than we have as teachers in America. Um, and it's sometimes easy to get complacent or complain as a teacher in America, like about our class size or the lack of resources. But I think it's really grounding to understand that there are great teachers globally who might be teaching 60 students in a class and it's either freezing or it's very hot. Mm. Uh, or, you know, and they might literally not have, you know, books or pens, but they still get it done. And I just think that's so inspiring. So um, I've been to South Africa. I've done some other work in other spaces. And the, the work with Kenya is just awesome. Like the teachers are the bomb. Right. <laughs> they really are. And I got to learn and learn about them. I was named a top 50 global teacher from the Varki Foundation and was connected to some teachers uh, in Kenya. And so it's really nice people to take educators there and to, to strip their mind because they think they're going there to see one thing and they leave with a very different understanding and idea. Wow. Um, yeah, it makes them really respect uh, the talent of teachers. And I, I think that replacing fear and replacing pity and replacing all these ideas with how all the things that people are goes a long way in reducing bias and hopefully helps them find uh, some humility and a wealth of resources to be able to bring back to their own classroom. Right, right. Kim, we can tell that you're dedicated to this. This is awesome. You're a great person. Man, we really appreciate what you're doing. So, yeah, you started a program in Louisiana called Grow Your Own Teacher also, right? Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Uh, Yeah. And that stems, so that's sort of a a blanket for literally, like in a community, growing your own pipeline. Uh, And so my work with Reach University is part of that. And then obviously Educators Rising is part of that. And the spirit of this is because for the longest time in education, because there's been a shortage for decades, um, we tend to think that we've got to we've got to export talent to come in and teach kids. Like, we're not good enough in our community. We've got to get somebody from outside to come and save us. Um, but a lot of what I'm trying to do is tell people understand that everything they need is in the community. People don't lack the ability to be teachers or to solve problems. Sometimes what they lack are people willing to remove the barriers that have kept them out. So a lot of what I do in just my career and my advocacy, but I'm so glad I get to do it front and center now, is again to remove barriers to make equitable access to being a teacher where you don't have to choose between debt or you don't have to choose between like quitting a job or having a family, like that there's space and there's room for everyone who has what it takes to be able to work with kids and to be able to work in a classroom and lead in that, in that space. Wow. Wow. Kim, do you have a motivator? Or a mentor? Oh, sure. <laughs> oh, I've got so many, <laughs> so many motivators and so many mentors. Right. Um, a lot of times my biggest motivation, honestly, has come from some of the kids in my life like that I teach. Um, some of the bravery that they have exhibited that no child should ever have had to exhibit, I learned a ton from them. Um, but also, like, in, in my own space, just like my colleagues and other teachers, I'm lucky I'm surrounded by energy and I'm surrounded by success and I'm surrounded by success stories and people who persevere, who are like-minded. Um, and that really is infectious in, in the best ways. Like not all infections are bad. <laughs> like, right, right. This is a good infection, like just infected and with joy. Um, and the, and just the ability to see things for what they could be and not get stuck at what they are. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Where do you get your work ethics from? You gotta. Hmm. You, you're busy. You're 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 busy. 
it, it, it just comes from being mission driven. Right. Uh, I make jokes a lot, like, oh gosh, let me just solve all these problems so I can just go back to my classroom and teach. And there's so much truth to that. Like, whenever I retire, like if I ever retire, I want it to be like, I want my classroom to be the last thing that I saw. <laughs> like, because yeah, I really, it's like teaching is so much fun. It really is. Um, but the, the work ethic, I think it's, it's the urgency, number one. Like, I see what happens when we get it right. Right. I see what happens when we don't. I see what happens when we fail. And it doesn't mean that I, that I always am successful. And, and the hurt of that, the times where I have failed kids, stays with me. And so the work ethic comes from just knowing the job's not done, the work's not done. Um, whenever people congratulate me for things, I'm, I'm very thankful for that. But I also want to say, don't congratulate me yet. <laughs> like We still got problems. Uh, you're congratulating an idea in a moment, but until it's a movement and a solved problem, right. the congratulations aren't warranted yet. Like we, this is all of our work, um, and we're not there yet. And I, I think that that's always going to be the drive for me. I think for a teacher, whenever you think you've arrived, it's time to go home. Right. Well, absolutely. Last thing, mm-hmm. what's your favorite wine? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great question. Okay, I'm going to tell you so easily. And I, I will, t- like, I put some practice. <laughs> I put some work in. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you the answer. But first, I want you to know that I am qualified. I'm oh. not a sommelier. Oh, all right. Wine. I mean, I've had some wine around the world. Like, you know, I've had France and Italy. No, apothic. Okay. Apothic red blend at the grocery store. It's like. Twelve to fourteen dollars. That wine, it's like you, you can count on it. You're never going to take a sip, and it's it's like I don't know about you. I always know about that wine. It, that's it good. Huh? Affordable. Uh, <laughs> yes, and there are there are way pricier wines I've had, and I'm like, just give me some of my apothic. All right. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. I yeah. got it. All right. Good. Yep. <laughs> All right. Hey, Kim, thank you so much for coming on the uh, Icon Leadership Podcast, and thank you so of much course. for all the work that you do every day. And, and all the teachers out there. We really appreciate you guys. Well, I want to thank you um, for being an, a fellow purveyor of stories. A, a teacher is a storyteller, and you are a storyteller as well. So thank you for finding that mine was worth sharing. All right. No problem. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Icon Leadership Podcast. You can find the show anywhere you get your podcast. You can find us at roguemedianetwork.com or you can email us at iconleadership at gmail.com or our website, which is iconleadership.org.